I'm not like that. That's, that's what um, Paul wants us to be saying as we get to the beginning of Romans 2. I'm not like that. I'm not a sinner like those people described in Romans chapter 1. Just uh, to remind you, it was a couple of weeks ago, because remember Sam Albury was here last week um, uh, talking specifically about the issue of homosexuality. Um, So it was a couple of weeks ago that we were looking at the second half of Romans 1 and we were trying to unpack why it is that Paul uh, says God is angry with people. The wrath of God, we read, is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. And we saw that he's angry fundamentally because he is just. Because he is just, he um, uh, must be righteously angry against all sin. And uh, we saw the apostle unpacking this world, describing a world of of idolatry and a world of sexual impurity. Unfortunately, to be honest, for 21st century people, because he includes homosexuality as a key part of his, uh, his argument in Romans 1, we very, very easily miss the point. Because our reaction as we go down through that and see that he, he includes um, uh, people having sex with their own gender... Um, as part of his, um, his accusation, we, re- we, we say, hang on a minute, Paul, it's a bit more complex than that, isn't it? We live in a different world where, where these things are not such a big deal. And um, unfortunately, therefore, we miss the, the real force of what Paul wanted to achieve in his original hearers. He is addressing, in, in Romans 1 in particular, his Jewish hearers. There were Jews and Gentiles in the church in Rome and uh, his Jewish hearers seemed to be the focus of his attention in the second half of Romans chapter 1. And they had a very strong traditional moral framework. So when he lists uh, idolatry and uh, homosexual practice as uh, um, Uh, as being amongst the things that God gave them up to, as he does in Romans 1, he is wanting, actually, his moralistic Jewish hearers to say, good thing too, that God's angry with them. Perhaps to get some of the same effect into our mind, perhaps we should use different examples that would play into our world and achieve that result slightly better. Let Let me try. God is is angry with with an abusive, intrusive media who harry innocent people simply for a newspaper story. God God is angry with bankers who are prepared to bankrupt whole economies simply to to feed their own greed. God is angry with the sordid, lifelong sexual abusers who portrayed themselves as national saints and yet were in fact monsters. And we feel ourselves, I hope, thinking, absolutely, God should be angry with that. That's what Paul wants to achieve then. As he set out these these things before his Jewish, highly moral 
hearers. He wants them to be saying, God should be angry at those things, but not me. I'm not like that. And Paul's message to any of us who says, I'm not like that, is really shocking. His message is, people who say that are in the biggest danger of all. Let me unpack that then, because it is very, very important for us to to understand. We are in deep danger, he says, verses 1 to 4, because we are hypocrites. Romans 2 verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you, you who pass judgment do the same things. No, 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 that's what I've just been saying. I don't do the same things. I'm not like that. I have every right to pass judgment on people who do those horrendous things. Look a little closer. Perhaps at verses 29 to 31, for instance, of Romans 1. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. It's easy to say, I'm not like Jimmy Savile, frankly. But what about gossip? What about arrogance? What about envy? What about disobeying parents? They're not even looking at me. Ah, Heather is. (laughs) Thank you. What he's saying is we're all in the same boat. That's what he's saying. He's saying that some people may do big and obvious sins and terrible sins and some people may, may do ones which are not so, um, uh, so immediately offensive but we are, frankly, all in the same boat. And indeed, he's going to say, the people who refuse to recognise that the people who insist, I am not like that, are actually guilty of hypocrisy. And that's one of the deepest sins of all. It's common to hear that Christianity is hypocrites because Christians are constantly um, saying, uh, being holier than thou. Well, it's very, very important to, read what the, to, to understand what the Bible says. The Bible says that there are people who set themselves up as being holier than thou. But they cannot call themselves Christians. The most prominent group in the New Testament to do that are the Pharisees, whom Jesus excoriated again and again and again. True Christians, says the Bible, live with a deep sense of their own need for God's forgiveness. The sting is this, though. It's not only the holier-than-thou Pharisees 
who set themselves up as better than they are. It's absolutely everybody who says, I am not like that. There is something uh, terrible, says the Apostle, about someone who tries to claim they have no need of God's forgiveness. Verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you see how he's cornering us? He's set out God's general uh, uh, anger, his righteous anger against all sin in the second half of Romans 1. And now he has picked on a particular response to that. The response that I am not like that. And he is exposed, actually, that that puts us in the most dangerous position of all. But then he goes on. God's judgment, he says, on hypocrisy is, 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 is a paradoxical aspect of God's justice. That's in verses 5 to 11. Look at verses 6 to 8. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He's saying, in one sense, you see, God's justice is very simple. He, He rewards those who do good and he judges those who follow evil. It's that simple, he says. But actually, let's look a little closer. The judgment that God brings is on those who reject the truth. And he's just been saying that one of the most important truths is that we cannot stand up and say, I am righteous. The evil he's been talking about is the horrible evil of ignoring the grace and kindness and mercy of God, that God offers to, uh, to human beings as we sin. And so it is actually to pursue evil to claim that we need no forgiveness. And so the, the, that, that righteousness of God, that perfect fairness of God, whereby he he rewards those who do good and he judges those who follow evil, brings actually judgment, he says, on the self-righteous. Absolutely fairly. You see, uh, uh, did you see that in uh, in this um, nine? There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile, um, and absolutely fairly will he apportion blessings, glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile, for God does not show 
favouritism. God is absolutely righteous, just, says the Apostle Paul, but we need to understand the basis upon which he makes his judgments. He sees the arrogant self-righteousness of our hearts as being a major thing that he must judge. Those who pursue good are those who humbly seek his forgiveness. His judgment on hypocrisy then is a paradoxical effect of his justice. Oh, but comes the next uh, complaint. What about people who don't know? That's all very well. You know, people who know these things, that we need to seek God for forgiveness and we shouldn't behave in X, Y and Z way. That's, that's fine. How can ju- God judge people who don't know, though? Surely they uh, are, can be claimed to be innocent. Well, yes, says Paul. But let's look at it more closely. Verses 12 to 16, he uh, pursues that line. God, he says, does judge according to the knowledge that we have. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law, that is, shall we say, without knowing the law, will perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. That That is, once we know God's law, God's righteous requirements, then understandably God chooses to judge us according to our knowledge of those righteous requirements. Those who don't, he takes account of. But notice, he's careful to say they perish apart from the law. He's not entirely optimistic about those who don't know. He explains a little bit more. He explains that actually it's very important for us to understand that all people have a conscience. All people have an understanding of how they should live up to a certain point. Verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required of the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing, at other times even defending them. He's saying that that there is a sense in which God writes his righteous law in everyone's hearts. There are a whole set of things that human beings universally acknowledge as being evils. You should not murder. Um, uh, faithfulness in in marriage, um, uh, appropriate um, uh, respective structures in society and a thousand and one other things are found in culture and culture after culture. There is a sense in which uh, human beings universally have at least a certain degree of knowledge about how to behave written on their hearts. And the Apostle says, says that that, that therefore sometimes those people will find that they are vindicated before God, at least on particular issues, because they knew that they shouldn't murder and they restrained themselves from doing so, for instance. 
But he ominously says at other times, they will find that actually their conscience bears witness against them. No one, he says, can claim to be entirely ignorant of what God requires. And indeed, no one, therefore, can stand and say, I've never done anything that needed God's forgiveness. Our conscience, our general conscience, is a good thing, but it actually reveals, even to those who have never read their Bibles, that they have a deep need for God's forgiveness. Paul is manoeuvring us, you see. He, 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 is, he is dealing with, with, with every objection that we might have. I'm not a sinner like that. Well, actually, just your simple taking a stance on that reveals you're a, uh, that, that we're a hypocrite and that is deeply dangerous before God. But, how, but God is just. God is absolutely just. But he judges issues not only of simple right and wrong about how we behave towards one another, but issues of truth about who we are. And the fundamental truth is we are sinners in need of grace. But what about conscience? Surely someone who hasn't heard is innocent. Well, they might be to a certain extent. But everybody knows enough to know that fundamental truth. What are we to learn from that, this, then, as Paul slowly unfolds his argument? Well, let, let me lay it down very, very clearly. The biggest danger for human beings is hypocrisy. It is not dangerous to know that we're sinners in need of God's forgiveness. Indeed, that is a safe place to be. It is deeply dangerous to try to claim that we don't need his forgiveness. We must beware of hypocrisy at all, um, more, than all, more than anything else because it hardens our hearts. And that means that every single one of us, as we come before the Holy God, we must come before him as people who long for his grace and his mercy. No one can come before God saying, I am good enough. Every single one of us must come before him saying, I'm not good enough, but please give me your forgiveness, Lord. And thirdly, it means that we must, as people, know the deep wells of God's grace and forgiveness. Paul has not been manoeuvring us into that corner to make us feel despairing. He has been manoeuvring us into that corner to cry out from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, I now see how profoundly I need your forgiveness. 
And it is when we get to that point and we come to him and seek forgiveness that he, he, he is willing and able to pour out that forgiveness on our lives and forgive every single one of our sins and start us on a new path where we can pursue good with, without the evil of hypocrisy underlying it. Because now we pursue good in a deep knowledge that we always only will be sinners in need of grace. That's what Jesus came and died on the cross to offer us. He took the penalty for every one of our sins. Dying on the cross so that he could offer full forgiveness from God. He did that because he saw human beings down through the ages, all over the world. He saw that as they came to him, he wanted to be able to offer that free forgiveness. If you haven't asked yet for it, you know there is nothing at all which can bar you from meriting it except for a belief that you don't need it. 